Good morning. Thought I passed out there. It's good to be back. We did not want to miss last week. As many of you heard, we went to uh, Gulf Shores to be with our family, our children, grandchildren. Uh, got there, Eileen started feeling bad, and we thought maybe it had something to do with post-surgery, and turned out she had COVID, and then I got COVID, and then Jenna got COVID, and all God's children got COVID. It's just, uh, and uh, so, and you're right, Kank, no, Bama's not the basketball powerhouse like, you know, Georgia. <laughs> so how are they doing in the tournament this year? Oh, that's right. How are they doing the NIT? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Been a strange couple of weeks. Uh, we almost got killed um, at the SEC tournament. Apparently, uh, people take this very seriously. And we had a Kentucky fan behind us yelling at a Vandy uh, player, not realizing that his father was sitting over here. And I was between the father and the fan. And the father had two friends and got up and was going to come after the Kentucky fan. And I'm in the middle, pointing to my A. And uh, <laughs> I really thought, oh, this is great. This, I'm going to die at a basketball game. It's not a football game, a basketball game at an SEC tournament. I've never been before. I'm going to die my first one. And not only that, watching Kentucky. It, it's just, you know, <laughs> to, to spend eternity like this would have been terrible. But uh, calmer heads prevail, and, and the player, uh, the, the fan, stopped yelling. And, 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 again, he was insulting the man's son uh, in very derogatory terms. And the father and his friends said, enough. And... Uh, Wow. With that in mind, look with us to our text this morning. Found the book of Matthew chapter 13 as we continue our series on the kingdom of God. And as you're turning there, now Jesus in the book of Matthew says the kingdom of heaven. And I explained it a few weeks ago that in the book of Matthew, Matthew is writing to basically a Jewish audience. And the, the word, the phrase kingdom of God would have been pretty offensive to some people. And so he changed it to the kingdom of heaven. It's the same concept we find through the gospels. Either kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the same thing. It means the coming kingdom of God, heaven, but it also means right here and right now. And Jesus is laying the foundation of what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is. And he's giving parables in chapter 13 to demonstrate what the kingdom of heaven is. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, we find a very strange parable to describe the kingdom of God. Verse 31. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we pray today that you'll open our hearts to your word. That, Father, not only will we understand what we read, but, Father, that you will help us to implant it and apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Jeff Bezos started an online bookstore from his garage in 1994. And today, Amazon.com is the largest online retailer in the world. In 1901, a 21-year-old, William Harley, and his childhood friend, Arthur Davidson, decided to put a motor on a bicycle. Now, they didn't have to, uh, cars in those days, and so this was a unique idea. Uh, you know the story. It ended up that today Harley-Davidson is the most recognizable motorcycle in the world. In 1969, a 16-year-old named Michael Kedrich melted some crayons and made a candle for his mom, and it was scented candle. And she showed her neighbors, and they were all impressed, and they said, could you make us some? And so four years later, he found an old mill in Massachusetts, and today the Yankee Candle Company is the largest manufacturer of scented candles in the United States. Maybe the best-known story was about one store in Newport, Arkansas, where a man started one store and built an empire. Today, over 11,000 stores, 2.5 million employees around the world. Sam Walton started small, and now Walmart is around the world. All these stories have one thing in common. They started small, and they grew big. Rarely, if ever, do you hear a story about somebody starting something large and keeping it large or growing larger. It's always something small and growing big. In our text, our Lord Jesus is going to demonstrate the kingdom of God starts small and it grows big. And this is a theme he says throughout the book of Matthew as he's trying to demonstrate to show us what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. In fact, seven times in Matthew 13 alone, he will use that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. But all through the, um, the book of Matthew, about 12 different times, we see Jesus describing the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, for example, the kingdom of heaven is like the sower and four soils, as we did last week. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like the, the wheat and tares. The kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of the perfect pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a master hiring workers for the vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like a king settling his accounts. The kingdom of heaven is like a king preparing a wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is like the ten virgins with their lamps. The kingdom of heaven is like the man with talents. You see, Jesus over and over in the book of Matthew is trying to demonstrate to us what the kingdom of heaven is all about. You see, here's the problem. In that society, when they heard the kingdom of heaven, when they thought of the kingdom of God, they were expecting the Messiah to come and take over. They thought of him as a military king. They thought he was going to come, and he was going to drive the Romans out by force, and he was going to establish himself as the king. They looked for that day when he would one day establish his kingdom. By the way, don't we do that? Sometimes we take the kingdom of God's concept, and we think of it as a political reality or maybe even a political power. Yet Jesus says the kingdom of God is something else. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, Jesus is not giving a botany lesson. He's describing the nature of the kingdom. The only, this tiny little seed is hidden. It's buried in the earth. And from that becomes a huge plant so large that birds can, can build nests in it. Why is Jesus using this image? Why is he saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed? Because you go back to that time period, mustard plants were prolific everywhere in the Sea of Galilee. 
Everywhere you would go, you would see it. And here's Jesus teaching, and they look around, they're all over. And Jesus is saying, this is like the kingdom of heaven. So this morning, let's examine that. What does it mean? How is the kingdom of God like a mustard seed? Well, first of all, the kingdom of God starts small. God's kingdom starts small. Again, he begins by saying very simply, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The mustard seed was known for being the smallest seed that they would plant. It was known as a proverb of something small. Jesus wants to take this analogy of this microscopic beginning to show the large growth that's going to take place. How small is it? It, it, the, The mustard seed is so small, 750 seeds to equal one gram. It takes 21,000 mustard seeds for one ounce. I mean, this is a very small seed. God loves to take the small and make something large out of it. God loves to take the small, something insignificant, and make it mighty. We see it throughout the the Bible, don't we? I mean, even the beginning, God started with two people. Now there's over 7 billion people on the planet. Not bad. I mean, after the flood, we see Noah. His small family of six. Then we see the nation of Israel started with a couple of a a barren senior adult citizen called Abram and Sarah. And God started an entire nation. Throughout the history of Israel, you see many times it's just the remnant that would remain. How they would fall away and there would only be a small group left. For example, the time when they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And when they came back, there was only a small group. And they decided to rebuild the temple. And as they were rebuilding the temple, they thought, who could do this? In fact, Zechariah writes, who despised the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. He said, do you not understand that this kingdom, this temple is going to be built? It's going to start with one stone. That's how it grows. It starts with something small. Never underestimate the size of a movement. God loves to take the small. God loves to take the insignificant to grow it. Even the life of the most significant person in history, Jesus, started in a tiny town of Bethlehem. His life started in a feeding trough. Jesus chose 12 men to start the church. Of the 12, only three saw his whole ministry, the inner circle. He took three years to take them through that boot camp. And then at the end, they all ran away. And yet, before Peter preached that sermon at Pentecost, every Christian in the world would fit in that room, according to the book of Acts. Even Jesus' life while on this planet, even if you take into account when they went to Egypt to, to run away when he was a baby, Jesus only traveled no more than 200 miles from where he was born. Something small, insignificant, changed the world. You see, we value the biggest. We value the largest, don't we? We want to drive the biggest, largest car or truck. We want to have the biggest bank account. We want to have the biggest business. We want to have the biggest life group. We want to have the biggest church. We want to have the the biggest, this audience, the biggest audience. We want the biggest, and yet God says there is power in the small. Never underestimate the small. Do you realize that every year, More property is destroyed by termites than earthquakes. Never underestimate the small. 
the deadliest animal in the world is not the lion or a shark or an elephant or a rhinoceros. The deadliest animal in the world is the mosquito. Three million people die annually from malaria carried by the mosquito. Don't ever underestimate the small. You see, when something is small, sometimes we don't even notice it. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. Some people won't even notice it. It's so small, so insignificant in their world, they'll miss it. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is small at the beginning. You see, they were expecting the kingdom of God to come from lightning and earthquakes. They were expecting the kingdom of God to come from a multitude of angels singing in the sky. They were expecting the kingdom of heaven to come from voices from heaven. And yet the kingdom of God came from a carpenter living in an obscure village who became an itinerant preacher. Never underestimate the power of small. Years ago in England, there was a snowstorm. A young teenager was headed to church, and because it was snowing so bad, he stopped at this Methodist church. Actually, it was a Methodist chapel. The snow was so bad, the preacher didn't even show up. Handful of men in the room. One man said, I, I, can, I can preach something. So he stood up and he read this from Isaiah. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And that young teenager said that was the moment the seed of faith was planted in his heart. He gave his life to Christ at that moment. He felt called to the ministry at that moment. That young teenager who just so happened to go into that small chapel on that snowy day, name was Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was probably the greatest English preaching preacher ever. In the 1800s, he started a church in London, built an auditorium that, that held 5,000. You know, people were standing in line to get in. He preached to thousands and thousands of people, and it all started because a man stood up and read one verse from Isaiah. Don't ever underestimate the small. God's kingdom starts small. Second, God's kingdom grows steadily. God's kingdom grows steadily. Look what he says. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants become the tree. Mustard plant, by the way, does grow. It can grow up to 15 feet. Here's a plant that grows steadily. This huge plant that comes from a tiny seed. The same thing is the, the, true about the kingdom of God. From the beginning of Christianity, beginning with the, the, in Bethlehem, it has grown steadily. It has grown remarkably as we've already said, here's Jesus. He's calling 12 men to make his, that inner core. He's going to pour his life in them. He had one spiritual dropout. The other 11 continue to preach in the book of Acts. As we've already said in the book of Acts, we find at Pentecost as they are gathered to preach. And then at Pentecost, he's, Peter stood up to preach. And what happened? Thousands came to know Christ. They went from 120 people to over 3,000 when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Later on, over 5,000 became believers it started small, but it started growing steadily. And that's the way the kingdom of God is. It will be small at the beginning, but it will grow steadily. God's kingdom will grow till that one day Paul, that John writes in the book of Revelation. We're going to stand before God. He says, quote, after this, I look and before me this great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne. It starts small, but every single person 
will have an opportunity. Every single person of that opportunity, and then from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language group will stand. Somebody will stand before God. The growth of God's kingdom isn't only in terms of numerical growth, but also spiritual growth. Please understand, when the kingdom of God, within the kingdom of God, don't, don't think of in terms of, of numbers. Think also in terms of your heart. The kingdom of God resides in our heart. When you give your life to Christ, you have the seed of faith in you. But it will grow. And it will get stronger. And you'll continue to grow until that day you stand before God. Even after all these years of being a Christian, I promise you every week I learn something new from the Bible. After all these years of being a Christian, I haven't arrived. I still struggle with some things. We never arrive until we come into heaven. What is the kingdom of God? Well, Paul says the kingdom of God in the book of Romans, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, look, it's not about religious performance. It's not about you know, keeping religious ceremonies. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what lives within you. The kingdom of God is that peace and that joy, your awareness of the righteousness, the peace and joy in your life. That's the kingdom of God, and it will continue to grow daily. Our problem is we're not aware of it. We, we get impatient. We want to grow now. It doesn't work that way. It takes time to grow your spiritual life. A little boy was planted a watermelon seed. He came to his father later on. He said, Dad, I, I, you know, it's not growing. And the father said, son, you've got to be patient. You, you don't understand. It's growing every single day. You don't see it, but it's growing every single day. And the son said, no, it's not, Dad. I dig it up every night. It's not growing. <laughs> That's the way we are. We get so impatient, we don't see the result. But the kingdom of God grows steadily. The kingdom of God in your heart grows steadily. Third, God's kingdom offers permanent shelter. The kingdom of God offers permanent shelter. This next verse, there's some debate over it. Verse 20, verse 32. It says, but when it's fully grown, it's larger than the garden plant and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. There's some controversy over this. There's some debate. There are some people who think that the birds represent demons and Satan. The idea is that wherever the kingdom of God grows, Satan attacks. Well, that's a true principle. I agree with that, but not from this passage. And the reason they get that later, earlier on in this, this chapter, Jesus is telling another parable, and he talks about birds coming, and he said that represents Satan and the demons. But that was for that parable, not this parable. There are many reasons I can give you, but let me just give you one. Did you notice the last part of that verse? He said they nest in its branches. Nest in the branches, that Greek word there is a very specific word. It means to, to pitch one's tent. It means to settle permanently. This means something that will never, ever, ever, ever leave to dwell forever. We know that Satan and his demons will not dwell forever. We know that. Jesus knew his hearers. They had been waiting for that day, a promise that God gave to them in the Old Testament, that one day they would no longer be pilgrims, that one day they would no longer be travelers, that they would settle permanently somewhere. The Jews waited for that day. They wanted to be with God permanently. That was their plan. That was their goal. That was their prayer. So Jesus is using that image here. But also Jesus is referring to a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. 
In the book of Ezekiel, God is making a prophecy that one day the Gentiles would also join the Jews. And so in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23, on a high mountain of Israel, I will plant it so that they may bring forth branches and bear fruit and become a stately cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it, and they will nest in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field would know that I am the Lord. I will bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the tree dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will perform it. Here's the prophecy. God says, one day I'm going to make a tree. And that tree, all the birds, all the different kinds of birds, the Jews and the Gentiles are going to come, and they will nest in that tree permanently. What God is saying is one day there will be a tree, and that tree was the cross where Jesus died on the cross to bring all people to himself. That's what he's talking about, and that's what this parable is talking about. Jesus said, if you understand the kingdom of God, it will give you permanent shelter. And it wasn't unusual in that day to see bird nests in, in those mustard plants. And so Jesus took a very common expression, a very common event to show them that God was active and you could find shelter. What kind of shelter? Well, first of all, in God's kingdom, you find rest from the fatigues of life. You find shelter from the fatigues of life. Are you tired? Are you weary? Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. If those of you who are weary, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Just as the birds rest in the trees, Jesus said, you come to me, you come to the Father, and he will give you rest. Some of you are tired of fighting the same battles every day. Some of you are tired, and you need rest. And God says, you come to me, and I'll give you that rest. I think one of the reasons we have more anxiety, more burnout, more stress today is because people are simply just tired because they haven't rested. And God says, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Secondly, in God's kingdom, you find shelter from God's wrath. You find shelter from God's wrath. Zephaniah says, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. All of us, every one of us, we deserve the wrath of God. All of us are sinners. We deserve it. But did you hear what this prophet said in the Old Testament? He said, perhaps you'll find shelter. What he said in the Old Testament, the New Testament, there is certainty, you will find shelter. You come to Christ, you will find shelter from the wrath of God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took our wrath upon himself. In the Old West, uh, they used to have these fires, prairie fires, and they'd be out of control. The wind would blow, and they'd be coming fast. We see some of that even in California today. What cowboys have learned, if they saw this fire, sometimes they would start their own fire. And they would get off their horse, and they would uh, set fire to the spot where they were. And, and after the fire had burned the ground black, the cowboy and his horse would stay in the middle of that. And it would protect them because the oncoming prairie fire wouldn't harm because it wouldn't burn where it's already been burned. Well, spiritually, that's what happens. Once we stand where God has died for us, we miss the wrath of God. That's the cross of Jesus. We find shelter from the wrath of God. And finally, in the kingdom, God's kingdom, we find eternal protection and peace. That's what we find rest from, eternal protection and peace. When we have the kingdom of God, we have it now. You see, some people think of the kingdom of God as something later. No, no, God says, no, it's right now. You can have the kingdom of God right now. 
You can have the peace of God right now. You can have the joy right now. But there will come a day when you will stand before God and you will be in a place where there's no sickness and no sorrow and no death. That's what we're looking forward to. It's called eternity. God created us to spend eternity with him. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. This world won't satisfy. Therefore, there's another world out there. The kingdom of God starts as a little seed. And it grows. And it provides shelter. God loves to take the small and make something large. That's the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's just a word, a phrase. I love the story of John Wesley. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodists, he, he was an incredible person. He was, literally rode 10,000 miles on his horseback to preach the gospel. One day he was robbed. Man robbed him, and John Wesley didn't have much, gave him what he had, and said, hey, anything you want to take from me, go ahead, look in the saddlebag, just check it out. The thief took what he could, and then as he was leaving, John Wesley said, I do have one thing for you. He walked over to him, and he whispered in his ear. He said, you may someday live to regret this life, and if you do, remember these few words, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all our sins. The man ran off. Years later, Wesley was preaching. And then the service, this man walked up to him and said, do you remember me? And he looked and he realized that was the man who robbed me. But now he's wearing a nice suit because he was a very successful businessman in that community. The man fell to his knees and grabbed Wesley's hand, kissed his hand and said to you, sir, I owe it all. Your words changed my life. He said, here's what I've stolen from you. I've kept all these years to give back to you. Wesley said, no, it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from all our sins. Do you realize just hearing that one phrase changed a man's life here and now and forever? And you may be here today, you may be watching online, and you need to hear those same words. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all our sins. Will you give your life to him? Will you take that mustard seed of faith in your life by saying, Lord, I, I accept, I admit I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and rose on the, on the third day. And I confess everything. Will you do that? If you're watching online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call today. Just text that word today. But if you're here this morning in person, as we begin singing, if you just come to the front and talk to one of the ministers saying, today's the day I need to give my life to Jesus. Would you stand by your heads? <clears throat> Father, we pray you help us to understand this incredible spiritual truth that your kingdom is like a mustard seed, something small. By the world, Father, it looks like it's insignificant. By the world's standard, it's, it makes no sense. To say, all we have to do is pray. All we have to do is give our life to you. 
We, you mean we don't have to go and do something else first? We don't have to make, get our life right first? Father, this makes no sense logically. You, are you telling us that you died for me? Father, I didn't deserve it. Maybe you died for other people. You didn't die for me. This makes no sense. Until we realize, Father, it's the mustard seed. Something small and something insignificant. Father, speak to us now that, Father, we'll hear your voice. And, Father, we will respond. In Jesus' name, amen.